My brother back there mentioned uh, putting on the whole armor of God. And there's a purpose for that. And that purpose is to finish strong in the faith. And God never commanded his Christian to sit. He's always commanded his sons and daughters to go. And in that purpose of going, it's to finish strong. And tonight I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, and I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. And it's just three simple verses. 2 Timothy 4, 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And again, I want to emphasize that Christ wants his followers to finish strong. George Sheehan, a marathon runner, said, I am at my best nearing the finish of a race. Until then, I am just another mediocre distant runner. Just one of the many run-of-the-mill competitors well back in the pack. Just one more old man trying to strain together six-minute miles and not quite succeeding. But with the finish line in sight, all that changes. Now I am the equal of anyone. I am a class. I am unbeatable. Gray-haired and balding and starting to wrinkle, but world-class. Gasping and wheezing and groaning, but unbeatable. So writes Dr. George Sheehan in his book, Running and Being. An accomplished cardiologist, author, and marathon runner, George Sheehan lived his life with passion and purpose. Even when confronted with terminal cancer in 1991, he demonstrated courage and determination. He ran life's race, and he finished strong. As with Dr. Sheehan, the day will come for each of us to finish life's race. In 2 Timothy 4, we read how that time had come for Paul. In fewer than 100 words, he shares with us the hardship of his present, the heartbeat of his past, and the hope he holds for the future. In this brief passage, these three passages that I've just read tonight, Paul reflects on his life and ministry. He looks around, looks back, and then he looks ahead. With the finish line in sight, as he picks up the pace, Paul sums up his dynamic life and his hope in death. The lessons we learn from this aging apostle will enable us to run well today. While, encourage us, while encouraging us to finish 
strong tomorrow if the Lord allows. Paul's words were dictated probably to Luke shortly before his martyrdom at the decree of the Roman emperor Nero, Nero excuse me, in the year 66 A.D. For 30 years he has traveled, witnessed, worked, and preached throughout the Mediterranean world. He has been helped. He has been hated. He's been assisted and attacked, blessed and cursed. Whatever else can be said of his faith in life, it certainly wasn't dull. We can all agree to that tonight. He didn't live a dull life. Enduring imprisonment and anticipating his execution, Paul begins in verse 6 with two vivid metaphors telling us about the hardship of the present. First, Paul sees himself as a drink offering about to be poured out. Well, what is he really saying? In ancient Rome, banquets commonly ended with a particular ritual, the symbolic act of pouring out on the ground a cup of wine in honor of the Roman gods. Here Paul borrows this image. He says that his life is an offering poured out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this fits with Paul's belief that all of life is to come under the Lordship of Christ. All of life is to be regarded as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, as Paul writes in Romans 12. In effect, the Apostle Paul is saying, the Roman authorities will not take my life. Rather, I will die living my life, giving my life for the Lord. I have been a living sacrifice, serving Him since the day I was saved. Now I will complete the sacrifice by laying down my own life for the One who gave His life to me. Second, in Romans 12.6, Paul also relates that the hardship he is facing will soon cease. He writes, the time has come for my departure. The word departure here is a word that has many meanings. For one thing, it can mean to hoist an anchor and set sail. It seems that Paul looked upon his present hardships and his impending death as a release from the world. Paul saw death as an opportunity to set sail into eternity. Another meaning for the word departure refers to striking and taking down a tent. The Apostle Paul longed to be freed from his battered and broken body and his earthly tent, now shackled in prison. (laughs) He anticipates his martyrdom as a change of place and a journey home. As he told the Philippian Christians, to live is in Christ and to die is gain. Paul awaits his release from his present hardships in order to depart and to be with the Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ. At the same time, Paul affirms God's sovereignty over life and death. He trusts in a personal, compassionate Savior, our Savior, who is compassionate, and Lord, who will not place him on him a burden greater than he, than he with the Lord will be able to bear. Rather than risk control from God, rather to alleviate his brief present hardship and suffering by taking his own life, Paul reaffirms his confidence in God's will and wait. In this way, Paul is determined to wait upon the Lord. He is determined to finish strong. In 2 Timothy 4.6, the apostle looks around at his present hardships. Then in 2 Timothy Timothy 3.7, Paul looks back on his life. He remembers the heartbeat of his past. For over 30 years, he has faithfully served 
the Lord. In this verse, we find three images drawn from the athletic arena. Paul likens himself, or excuse me, Paul likens his life and ministry to that of a long-distance runner who has a, who is completely who had competed, excuse me, who has competed honorably in the ancient Olympic Games. He said, I have fought the good fight. The word fight in the original text comes from a word which may refer to any athletic contest in the games. The phrase carries a much more broader meaning than we commonly associate with a fight or a boxing match. The word is agon, from which we derived our English word agony. It pictures an athletic, an athlete coming off the field, having giving it Excuse me. It pictures an athlete coming off the field having, having given it his, all his best, his or her best. Here Paul is truthfully saying that he has given his all for Christ. I have run the race having given his best. Paul now sees himself as a crossing for the finish line. It is easy to begin a race. It's always easy to begin a race. It's easy to run hard for a few miles. I definitely know this for being in the military. We ran a lot. I didn't like it, but we ran. And I was awesome in the beginning for the first 50 feet. And then I wanted to kill over and die. But I was awesome for a few miles. <laughs> but it's much harder to finish a long-distance race and harder still to finish strong. I believe that Paul is telling Timothy and each of us that the Christian life is not a sprint competition. It's not a sprint competition. Rather, it is a long-distance race, a marathon-type challenge, beckoning us to run well, to finish strong, to keep the pace, to stay focused. I remember when I was in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, we had a very large brigade commander. He was a full-bird colonel. And he loved to run, and he loved to lift weights in the gym. I felt like when I would stand beside him, I was a midget. You know, I mean, he was just a big guy, a humble guy, but he loved to, he loved to PT. And so once a quarter, we would go on these nine-mile runs in full uniform, minus the battle gear, but we would go in full uniform and tennis shoes on these nine-mile runs. And for the first few miles, it was pretty simple. But when that Fort Campbell, Kentucky humidity hit and you're in the fourth mile, you would just want to just be like, you know, I just want to stop and get a Gatorade and not come out of my room. <laughs> you know, but I kept going and I kept going and it was about a 10 minute mile pace. And we did this for nine miles. And in the middle of the runs, we would run through the middle of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and we would be in the woods. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to fall out right now because I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea how to get back to where I need to go. And I don't want some wild animal coming out of the woods and eating me because I couldn't run fast. You know, so I just kept with the pace. I kept with the cadence. And you know what? When we got to the last part, we would finish at the barracks. I would be like, you know, I'm glad I didn't fall out. I'm glad other soldiers didn't see me fall out. You know, I finished strong. 
And, you know, by doing that, it gives other people encouragement, too, to finish strong. You know that when we're weak and we want to give up, you know, we can go to our brothers and sisters and be like, you know, I need, I need some help. Because I want to finish strong. I want to finish honorably. You know? And that brother or sister can help you. You know, years before Paul stated his life's purpose in Acts 20, 24, which says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Here in 2 Timothy 4, Paul looks back, chapter 4, Paul looks back and he's able to say, I have, I have run the race to finish. In both of these passages, the word for race is the word dromon. It is the word that has a notable place in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Historians tell us that in the year 490 B.C., a, great, a Greek dromo, a runner messenger by the name of Pheidippides, that's the best I can do with my Greek, Pheidippides, that was his name, was dispatched by a Greek general to inform the citizens of Athens that the Persians had been defeated at the Battle of Marathon. Marathon. Keep that in mind. Pheidippides supposedly ran a route that took him south along the coast and up and across a series of coastal foothills before descending into Athens, a distance of about 26 miles from the plain, uh, plains of Marathon. According to legend, as he arrived in Athens, Pheidippides announced, Rejoice, we conquer. Then he fell down dead. What a life, huh? You, you defeat who you need to defeat it, and then you keel over and pass away. I, man, that, that just doesn't sound <laughs> like you can rejoice in that, you know, but that's what happened. In honor of Pheidippides, the ancient Olympic Games, of which the Apostle Paul was familiar, had several long-distance runs. But it was the modern Olympic Games, which resumed in Greece in 1896, which initiated the modern marathon of 20 point, or 26.2 miles, where we get our marathon word from, miles in honor of old Pheidippides. During 1998, approximately 450,000 American runners began and finished a marathon race of 26.2 miles. Someone has said that the marathon is the most accessible ultimate challenge around. It is like a Mount Everest climb in a city near you, which I will not participate in ever. We had a pastor here who was talking about how he participated in a marathon runner. I'm glad he did it. That, that, that's just not me. <laughs> I've heard in this congregation and several others of people who have participated in marathons in recent years. These events are usually a blend of joy, a blend of pain, and hopefully more of the former of the latter. Still, many runners can relate to the sentiment of a great American marathoner and 1972 through 1976 Olympic medalist, Frank Shorter. While running in the marathon trials for the 1971 Pan American Games, at about 21 miles, just before dropping out of the race, Frank Shorter was really struggling. He had what you call hit the wall, and was fading fast. As he was being passed by U.S. Olympian Kenny Moore, not Kenny Smolinski, but Kenny Moore, 
Shorter groaned one more, one of the more famous quotes in running lore when he muttered at 21 Mile, why couldn't Phidiphides have died here? <laughs> why couldn't he just die here and then you could finish the race at 21 miles instead of 26.2? But he died, why couldn't he have died here? Although Frank Shorter and many other great marathoners have had to drop out of a particular race, the Apostle Paul never did. He stayed the course. He saw his own life and ministry as that of a dromo, as a long-distance runner and messenger for his Lord and leader. Paul could claim, I have finished the race. Then the Apostle Paul concludes his look back on his life by stating, I have kept the faith. If we understand this statement in the context of the Olympic, ancient Olympic Games, Paul is telling us that he has run the race according to the rules. History reveals that the early Greek and Roman athletes took a solemn oath before the games. They pledged that they would completely, uh, they, excuse me, they pledged that they would compete honest, honestly and honorably. Here is Paul at the end of his race affirming that his own vows would be kept. And to whom were these vows made to? To his Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that throughout the long, lonely, difficult, and demanding race, he has kept Christ uppermost in his heart and mind. His life goal for 30 years has been to be obedient to Christ's call. His faith, though tested, has grown stronger. And the Lord Jesus, in whom Paul has trusted, and for whom Paul has lived, has kept and carried Paul through thick and thin. The Lord's grace is sufficient for every one of His children. You cannot keep strong in this race of life by yourself. Even though you think you can, you may be able to keep, like I said, I could keep going for a little bit in a run, but eventually I would fall out. But if you keep Christ in this race, this battlefield, if you will, you can keep going. You can finish strong. Even though you want to quit. Even though you want to just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, help me. He will. He'll help you. He's helped me. He's helped Colette. You know, in hard times. Because we, saw, we, we decided to say, you know, maybe we should stop trying to do this ourselves and let God help us. And, you know, if we would do that more often, we could finish strong in a lot of stuff that we start. In our study this far, we have seen in verse 6 how the apostle looks around at his present hardships. In 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul looks back on his life, remembering the heartbeat of his past. Then finally, in 2 Timothy 4.8, the aging apostle looks ahead and writes about his hope for the future. And he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. In the ancient Olympic Games, a winning athlete was rewarded with the coveted laurel wreath or a garland of oak leaves. With this, the victor was crowned. To wear such a crown was the greatest honor that could come to any athlete. 
But this crown in a few short days would wither away. Paul knows that there is a crown for him which would never fade, which would never die, which would never disappear. And this crown is called the crown of righteousness. It's God's reward to those who are faithfully and obedient to him. As Paul writes to Timothy, he knows that in this very short time he will stand before the Roman judgment seat and that his trial will have one outcome. He knows what Nero's verdict will be. The judges in Rome were not righteous whatsoever. If they were, they would have released Paul, but they didn't. William Barclay once observed that a person who is dedicated to Christ is ultimately indifferent to the verdict of any human court. He cares not if they condemn him so long as he hears his master's voice saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. This is Paul's hope and joy as his life nears its end. He looks ahead with confidence and certainty. He shares his joy with Timothy, reminding his young friend that his crown awaits not only him, but also Timothy and all others who trust and serve Christ. I want you to consider your own life tonight. Do you have the same kind of hope and assurance? You may feel pressed and pressured on every side. The challenges at time may seem relentless. They may hit you over and over and over again. You may seem like you have no release. You may feel like a lot like Paul may have felt. Yet, do you have the hope and assurance which he knew as death neared? Whether your race has just begun, is reaching the midpoint, or is nearing the finish, you can have the peace of God. You can have the victory in God in your life. And you can be at peace with God in whatever that you do. But how? Do what Paul did. He confessed his sin and admitted his need for God's forgiveness. He accepted God's love and accepted God's Son, Jesus Christ, as the Savior and Lord of his life. That is what Paul did. And that is what each of us may do, must do. Only with the Lord will we be able to run life's race to the very best of our ability. And only with the Lord will we be able to finish strong. The story of Eric Liddell, the 1924 Olympic 400-meter gold medalist, is widely known through the 1981 Academy Award-winning film, uh, Chariots of Fire. Liddell, the son of Scottish missionaries to China, himself became a missionary serving Christ in China. Like Paul, Eric Liddell was in prison and died for his faith and witness for Christ. Like Paul, Eric Liddell was also committed to run for God and let the whole world stand in wonder, which was a quote from Chariots of Fire. As you and I run the race set before us today and tomorrow, if God allows, take time to reflect on your running. How are you running? Are you running anemic? Are you running weak? Are you running strong? Remember Paul's words to Timothy. Realize with the Lord, you too, me, can fight the fight, run the race, and keep the faith. With the Lord, you can run well and finish strong.